0: I'm Dan. I founded Scalisco, and we make games that donate to animal shelters. I always wanted to make games that make the world a better place in some way, and I thought, what better way than to start with animals? And so I made a couple Corgi games. They're nice and soothing, relaxing, no violence, no stress. You can get addicted to them or just put them in the background, peep them in your pocket. Since then, I've started working on a Steam game, and That's called a Corgi's Cozy Hike, and that's my big thing for this year.
1: It's time for an adventure in the worlds of user experience and game design. On season three of the Design Thinking Games podcast, join old school UXers and aspiring game designers, Michael Schofield, Tim Broadwater, and an array of quirky characters from pixelated heroes to mischievous NPCs in search of the ultimate player experience. Design Thinking is a process that is applied to different types of games in this podcast. If you're wondering whether your favorite games have already come up, you can listen through the backlog at designthinkinggames.com. Now, Rapid Protobot, fire the Design Thinking laser. How did you get from
2: developer at Amazon to I'm making my own game studio that donates money to pet shelters?
0: First of all, I loved my time at Amazon. I got really lucky. I had a good team and a good manager, and that really helped grow my skills as a developer, I think. I've always wanted to make games in the past, too, so I was toying around with making games in my free time, but then I learned that Amazon would own anything you created, basically. They would own the IP rights to it and stuff like that back then. And so I just wasn't happy with that, and so I knew I had to leave before I actually started a real project. At the same time, I had a coworker who really loved dogs and was fostering for Dog on Seattle. And so I started learning about the challenges that dogs faced. And I saw how much money games in the mobile space made, like Candy Crush. And where did it all go? Just into some CEO's pocket. And so I was thinking, man, all these small nonprofits need so much help. What if I could make a game that gives them some help? That's really where I got the courage, I guess, to leave my job and start working on it.
2: The labels Leafco Games, correct? Yeah. How does it work at a high level?
0: Well, we're just a normal LLC. We're not nonprofit, technically. As I got started, I didn't know much about business, and I thought being a nonprofit would just slow us down. I just have good intentions, so I hope people will see that for now. And eventually, I'd like to start a nonprofit and help other developers also donate to charity, since I do know now how much effort it really takes. There's a lot of rules you need to follow, and it's hard just to work with nonprofits in general. They don't have much time, and so anything you can do to help them helps too. From
2: a UX perspective, how does a junior UXer start or build their portfolio? It's like, please, for the love of God, work with nonprofits. They need all the help thinking. What's your first gaming experience that you remember?
0: I mostly gravitated towards video games, which Donkey Kong Country was my first game, and Banjo-Kazooie definitely captivated my imagination, and then eventually, as I got a little older into my teens, I started loving Final Fantasy, and I started seeing how narrative could play such a role in games that I think that's underused still to this day, and uh, as far as like a uh, tabletop is concerned, I wasn't very social, I guess, as a kid or as a teen even. But once I started working at Amazon, me and my co-workers started playing the Game of Thrones board game when it was really popular. Or uh, Avalon is probably my favorite real game, like uh, Resistance. I like those social uh, deduction games and stuff like that.
3: (laughs) That's actually my least favorite because I'm really bad (laughs) at lying. I cannot keep a straight face. I was trying to get Tim to play Blood on the Clock Tower when we were at PAX Unplugged. I like those games a lot. Um, Among Us
0: never really got to me because I don't like player elimination. That's why I like Resistance and Avalon because you're always still in the game even if you lose a round.
2: That's true. That's good. I never think about that in games like One Night Werewolf or things like that. It is like elimination every round or bulk elimination every round or something.
3: When was the point where you're like, hey,
0: I can make a game? Well, it's, it's a great question. Whenever I was growing up, I never Imagined that I could make games. You know, it just wasn't even on my radar. I didn't know that people made games. It just seemed like they were magic. <laughs> <But> I always <laughs> imagined making games in my head. I'm in third grade pretending to be reading underneath my desk, but I'm actually imagining, okay, Donkey Kong 64 is fun, but it has problems. What if we would do this? Or like, how would we make levels that are like this? It wasn't until the end of high school, whenever I took like a coding class, that I started dabbling in making games. As just like little text adventures, and eventually I started... I took a game design class in college, and uh, we made a a snowball first-person shooter, and that was really fun. After college, I never even thought I could be a game developer, just because you hear in the industry, it's just so uh, taxing, and AAA development is just horror stories. And then indie, there's the conception that it's all luck, so you're not going to get successful anyway, so why even try? especially as a developer i was making so much money already so like why give that up and try to do something that's so hard and really i only quit because i thought it would be easier i guess (laughs) so
2: well yeah i'm kind of wondering like what's that okay so you're like i'm gonna start a game company and then you quit your job and then day one (laughs) like, what What does that journey look like to like you know rescue pets i mean because uh, I don't know what the time is on that, how many years or whatever.
0: Uh, released it in, in 2019, originally. I left my job in 2018, and I couldn't work on it before I left. That was one of the rules that Amazon had in place. I had, in 2017, made a small little puzzle game that I never released. And I actually, I talked to a lawyer then to see if I could release it or not, and he said, you probably shouldn't. And I was like, hey, anyway. <laughs> You probably shouldn't. Yeah. I had a goal to release a game before the before my birthday, and uh, I actually succeeded in making it, and so I was like, oh great, you know, and that, that really built my confidence, and I guess whenever I quit, you know, I was just like, oh yay, you know, it'll be a mobile game, it'll be simple, it won't be that hard, oh yeah, I was wrong. So your
2: first game you're talking about you made before your birthday. Did you just literally go to the web and what languages do people use? <laughs> like, how do I make a game?
0: I already knew that Unity existed. In, in my game design class in 2013 or 2012, actually, we used like a proprietary library that was built by some PhD student, and it was not good. The next year, they started using Unity, and I felt so betrayed because I feel like if we, they would just taught us Unity in that class, I would have been ahead much sooner. I didn't start learning unity until 2017 for that game i guess i played around with unreal engine before that but i just found unity so much easier to get started i guess and i yeah, like the actually, asset store so i actually worked
2: with a junior ux developer catherine and in college uh, she actually interned with us and then came and hired on after he actually had a game design class as like an elective in college they taught not only unreal engine but also a Unity. And so everyone grouped up in the class and made games for their project. That was the semester kind of project, I guess. So that's amazing.
3: Purely selfish question. I'm also an engineer. How hard is Unity to pick up? I'm super curious, also super selfish.
0: <laughs> well, I'd say every year it gets easier and easier. Just a couple years ago, they added a visual scripting language called Bolt, which now they call visual scripting. And that just lets you do coding without actually writing code. So that helps a lot. There's also things on the Asset Store that you can use to help get started with the things that you might not be able to do, like character controller packs or as far as like a visual novel type of experience goes, there's a lot of visual novel engines like Fungus, I think that's what it's called, and that helps you a lot because you can just write the dialogue. You can say which characters talking. You can tell it to do what animations. And there's a lot of stuff preset for you. So I think that makes it a lot easier to get started on specific things. But I think if you want to actually make it marketable, you are going to have to really find a good illustrator and probably pay them a bunch and probably also <laughs> tweak it to be something more unique to what you need. Because I think most games aren't always cookie-cutter. Even a visual novel, I think people are still looking for some unique experience with it.
2: How big is your team for Rescue Pets or Rockminer?
0: Just it- me. I have one artist. I hired music and sound effects for Rescue Pets. For Rockminer, we only use stuff on the Asset Store, though. Now, I did have a couple of programmers that I was trying to hire for Rescue Pets, but it just didn't really work out so well. And I was still learning how to be a manager, I guess. At the same time, while I was developing, and so it wasn't the best experience. But for Corgi's Cozy Hike, it's just the two of us. We don't have a musician yet. That's one of the things we're going to do a Kickstarter for. Probably just the two of us developing it, so that'll be fun.
2: Yeah, can you? Corgi's Cozy Hike looks very different than all your other games, and then I believe. You have a stretch goal on Kickstarter to put it on Switch, is that correct? Yep. Can you talk to us a little bit about Corgi's Cozy Hike?
0: Oh yeah. Corgi's Cozy Hike is where you're just a little corgi exploring this nice open world. It's uh, supposed to be a bite-sized experience like a short hike or a little gator game. Just take a couple hours to beat and maybe 8 to 10 hours to 100%. I just wanted something that would be this... Non violent, stress free experience where people could relax and just walk around, do whatever they want. And I always loved 3D platformers. I played old games like Banjo Kazooie or Donkey Kong 64, and I feel like those games always had enemies in it for no reason. Like it was just so fun collecting things. Even Mario, like Mario 64 or Mario Odyssey, doesn't need enemies. I just wanted to give that a try. And I guess I was always scared of making like a Steam game, I thought mobile would be a lot easier. And uh, it probably was, and it helped me get to where I am, but at the same time, being on PC means I don't have to worry about such low specs. So far, it's seeming a lot easier to develop for PC, and Unity is made for more 3D stuff. And so Rescue Pets was really pushing the limits that we could do on mobile because it was such high-quality 2D art. I didn't expect that. Although these days, I think Unity's better with it. Already in four years, it's improving. <laughs>
3: What is it like to develop for Steam? I haven't spoken to anybody who's ever done that.
0: Well, yeah, as far as the preconceptions I had, it was probably just based on these old ideas of people saying it's so hard to make a game. I feel like PC games just have this level of polish that you expect a lot more than mobile games. People on Reddit are very, even in the game dev community, they're very negative towards being an indie. And they say it's just luck. I think, you know, maybe five years ago or so it was, when Steam, like, stopped Steam Greenlight, which was their program for onboarding indie games. They started letting anyone pay $100 and then you could upload your game and then we saw these couple of years where Steam was full of these trash games. Um, <laughs>
3: but if you bundle all the trash games together and you give them away in a deal... <laughs> then you have Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's interesting.
0: But then in like 2020 or so they like changed their algorithm i think and you see less trash games now and if you go to howtomarketagame.com the guy there his name's chris he will tell you all about how their algorithm changed and now they base it on how many wish lists you get if you get enough wish lists they will promote you more and that's their way of like filtering out the trash and so you just have to get to seven to ten thousand wish lists and that'll help you be auto-promoted and So we're going to see how that goes. I'm still a little bit too early to see how that works for me. How does the
2: pacing work there? If you think chronologically from a tabletop card game or board game, like, here's an idea. I don't know if it'll work. I'm going to start prototyping it. And it's like, oh, I'll start putting this in front of players, fine tune the rules. Hopefully there's something fun that they enjoy. And then you can kind of tweak. And then when it kind of blind playtests itself and you don't need kind of to be there, the instructions, it's all good to go. And you have... You know kind of likes then you're like okay i've got something now we can kickstart it for the final illustrations for the final music for the deliverable how is that different for a video game i guess and then how does wish because i imagine there's the discord community of your p players as well as wish list <laughs> it's really important but i don't know how it fits in like the process
0: well yeah the advice i've seen is that wish lists are super critical you like you shouldn't really start talking about your game online until you have your steam page up and you should get it up early because the earlier that you're there the longer you have to build wish lists start Uh, with the wish
2: list in a page
0: yeah and uh, i'd even say probably email lists or something you have to find some way to build your audience and uh, it's nice if you can get them in an email list i'm kind of having trouble with that so far i haven't really promoted our email list page much yet it's a corgiscozyhike.com, com, <laughs> but you definitely want those wish lists because that's how Steam's going to promote you.
2: And so, to have a successful wish list listing on Steam, you've already had to have export some type of image or video of the gameplay to get people to.
0: Yeah, you need four I'm images. building a
2: website. and know that.
0: And you need your capsule art; they call it, is which it's like the main, the key art for the thing. You don't even need a video, but you should probably have one. But that means you need to prototype something rapidly, and you have to get it looking pretty good, just to start with. You don't want programmer art, and that's where it gets kind of tough, you know, because you know you need to balance. Okay, I got to be talking about my game early, but I also have to be developing and marketing. Developing instead of yeah, you can't make it perfect. I didn't think that we could make it this far on this game actually.
4: Alright, how do you play? I'm going to give you three nouns. And you have to pick which you're going to fuck, marry, or kill. Okay, I'm game. Let's play. Okay, agile methodology, waterfall, or lean? I don't know what those are. UX, FMK is the hottest UX book on this side of the internet. Tim Broadwater, our very own certified UX unicorn, takes the all-too-familiar premise of the original FMK game and wrote a book that invites you to take a deep dive into U.S., what doesn't work, and how royally things can
2: be screwed up.
3: Listen on
4: Audible or pick up UX FMK anywhere books are sold, but especially Amazon.
0: We just started working on it in December. I was tired of mobile games, I guess, because Google took us off the App Store. In fact, Rockminer was just taken off the App Store in May because they say that we're not following their family policies, which I don't understand. What? Because we do turn off. Basically, they have rules that say that if you're under 18, the ads that you watch have to be like catered to your age limit which we are. And so I don't understand what they're saying, but they just removed the game instead of actually helping us with it. And you email them they take weeks to respond. And so it's just sad. And so I just got frustrated because they took us down on Black Friday as well. And, you know, we uploaded it and fixed it, but we missed the best sales days And the year. I was upset and I was like, I always wanted to make a bigger game. I always wanted to make Steam games. I always wanted to make platformers or adventures and have story be more meaningful and a part of it more. And so what if we just try it out, see how far we get in a month. And so every day in December, I released a video on my progress for that day. And uh, before it just started coming together, and there were definitely hard parts in it. I pushed myself really hard. It was a lot of coffee and caffeine, but I think doing a video a day really helped me keep going and even through the hard parts.
2: It also probably helped you build following, right? As you
0: went, right? We did get a few hundred YouTube followers at that point. That's brilliant.
2: If you had to describe to other people what your kind of game design process is.
0: Yeah, I would say it's very iterative you know like these prototypes are are big and they're not like technical prototypes because i don't delete the code and then restart i definitely take the prototype into the actual game but i think especially for rescue pets and even rock miner there's a lot of iterative process i spent like the first year just like learning unity well enough to even release it but then once we released it it was still like bare bones and it was like in beta and so we would see what people said and. Then we would make little changes to it and uh, mm-hmm. just try to keep tweaking the opening of the game to help improve the retention and try to get more people through the first day or two of the gameplay. And then we go and to packs, kind of
2: Play testing, essentially, yeah. just to how do we speed this up? How do we onboard people quicker?
0: Yeah, which we didn't do like much in-person playtesting. It's mostly I put analytics in the game and we had a dashboard where we could see like how far people get or how long they were playing, stuff like that. And uh, there's only you so much you can do behavior, with that. getting behavior,
2: like player behavior is what you were capturing and learning yeah. from
0: that. Cool. And there's only so much you can do with that. And so that's why PAX was so helpful because we had the demos there and we could actually see what people were doing and say, ah, that's why they get stuck. You know, and that helps so much. I think most is just how you expect them to go a certain path or something. And then they just don't, or they just, <laughs> uh,
2: they just go the this completely like different Every way. game designer, it doesn't matter if it's a tabletop role-playing game or a board game or video game. It's like the players never do what we think they're going to do. Uh,
0: yeah. And so for Corgi's Cozy Hike, we, uh, we had a demo for PAX and uh, it was like the first time we really showed the game and. Every night of the convention, I was like tweaking the level design just to see how it impacted people's. Uh, oh,
3: wow. You could iterate that quickly on it.
0: I shouldn't.
2: <laughs>
0: but uh, <laughs> It's just. Yeah, like the Amazon employee back in me is like, oh, no, what are you doing? Don't edit a live demo or something. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. But we only had one hiccup. And so was pretty good, but it's luck and it was very stressful, but I'd say it's just such valuable feedback. You got to get it while you're there. We paid to be there. It's amazing that
2: you get both behavioral analytics, but then also doing the in-person playtesting as well to, you know, actual observing and moderating. That's super cool.
0: That's why I would suggest going to conventions like even if you can't go to PAX, still there's like local conventions or like local meetups or something where you can get play testers. I know like in Seattle, you have Seattle Indies and they're just an amazing organization that has so many events and it's so helpful to get feedback.
2: How do you, fans get connected with you? How do they learn more about Scalisco games? Or how do they get to the Corgis Cozy Hike Kickstarter, the wish list?
0: Well, the best thing is a CorgisCozyHike.com. You can also go to Scalisco.com and uh, you'll find us there. You can subscribe to our email list and that's how you can join our mission. We send images of the dogs that we rescue thanks to our player's support. And so that's a nice way to see how we actually make a difference which for our mobile games, we donate 20% of everything we make. And for A Corgi's Cozy Hike, we're going to be donating 10% of everything we make because Steam takes 30. You can Google A Corgi's Cozy Hike and probably find all the links for the Kickstarter and Steam. You'll definitely want to wishlist and follow it. And we do have a demo coming soon. And so if you want to play that, the people who will have access first to our demo will be the Discord followers. That's also on A Corgi's Cozy And we have a nice little wholesome community there that is small, but, you know, people are friendly and I definitely enjoy it. Well, our Kickstarter is coming real soon, so definitely give us a follow on that. And if you're seeing this after it's already out, go ahead and give us a back. We've got plenty of tiers. You can get your dog in the game. You can get your name in the credits. You can get real physical merch and stuff. So... At least check it out and share it with your friends, anyone who likes dogs or games.
2: So can you speak to, like, the Switch goal? I'm just so curious, like, designing for Switch and looking at what that's like or, and the thought there. Can you speak to it at all?
0: Well, I love the Switch so much. It's such a great console. Like, it's so fun playing games on handheld it's fun putting it in the tv when you're ready it's there's just so many cozy games on it like we definitely fit right in and so many people have found us at pax and said how they want it on switch so we want to be able to give it to them and so that's one of the main reasons why we had to do kickstarter for this because switch is definitely harder to develop for because it has you know a lower end processor and stuff and so that's why the (coughs) kickstarter helps just so much
2: that's amazing that people said that. That's actually from real user data, real customers saying, like, we want this. And it goes to not only, like, the the cozy part of Switch, right, the game you can play in bed or, like, anywhere, but it's also, like, there is something that we've been noticing, I think, on the show about games that are just more a meditative kind of thing. I know popularity of games like Stray and Tunic and other games that are... I even log into Fez every now and then just to be like, oh, I just want to chill, relaxed, low-key gaming vibe. And um, and there's a lot of games now that are coming out, I feel like, with that feel.
0: That's exactly my goal. You know, I want to give people a more relaxing experience. I don't know, since the pandemic started, something in me just kind of broke where, like I tried playing Elden Ring and I was just like, Ugh, oh, I would love to explore this world, but I just don't want to deal with the battles. Like I'm already so stressed in real life. <laughs> And I'm playing Tears of the Kingdom right now and I'm just like, I don't really want to do the battles too much. I mm-hmm. just want to explore this cool world they built. And Belda yeah. gives you the freedom for that. And that's why one of the big things in a Corgi's cozy hike is gonna be these like more cozy spots I call them. Where you can just sit in a beach chair and relax. There might be some things you can edit in the environment, like a build a sand castle or change the colours of the buildings or mushrooms and I just want you to be able to sit there and relax and listen to music. You know those like lo-fi videos that people watch and do work with? I'd love if people would just sit down and if I'd inspire them to put down the controller and like draw something or journal or go do that work you've been putting off. What's going on, everybody? My name is Alex. And my name is Diana. And we are two-fifths of Critically Stupid, a comedy Dungeons & Dragons podcast with new episodes every Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. If I had to pick, I'd probably say my favorite NPC in the show is Sean the Gorilla, uh, who I decided in the moment wears pants, a waistcoat, and uh, spectacles. Diana, who's your favorite NPC in the show?
2: Uh, my favorite character is uh, Captain Star Song
0: because in my head y'all he's fine af and makes me feel a certain way if you'd like to experience diana red-faced and sweaty in real time catches on youtube apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you enjoy that sweet sweet content you can catch updates on our twitter at crit stupid come watch me glisten i love that this is going to be audio only so listener you're gonna have to take my word on it she's real good looking
2: said this is kind of like uh 12 questions it's called d12 and it's questions that's gonna just left field questions but if you've worked in product development ux design gaming any type of gaming this will make sense to you uh, are you ready to begin
0: i am ready okay
2: um so your first one is you roll an eight what is your favorite card game.
0: Man, is it awful that I'm thinking Uno? <laughs> no, it's not bad. I still have
2: trades. I bought, or not trades, Dose, the sequel to it, and I've not oh, tried yeah? it yet. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. But no, Uno is perfectly validated.
0: I was in Vietnam last month, and I played Uno, and it was like Vietnamese Uno, and they had these weird rules, like Twister. I had no idea what it was. But well, we just made up our own stuff since we didn't have internet at the time, and it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. It was nice and simple, you know.
2: That's great. Okay, next
0: question. Uh, one. What is your favorite design tool? Oh, design tool. Honestly, just uh, like OneNote, like. Um, just like being able to organize your thoughts in one note, you can actually like make like little maps and stuff. It's pretty free form. It's not just straight down. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so like you can make images, you can draw in it on a surface tablet or an iPad. And like, that's just really nice. You can type in it. You can do both at the same time. I like it a lot.
2: Next question. Um. Three, what game should everyone play at least once, in your opinion? And you're not allowed to say anything
3: from Skalisco Games. So. Yeah, you can't be like, rescue pets.
0: <laughs> Definitely rescue pets. Think of the dogs. <laughs> um, I know I'm just playing Zelda right now, so that's like the first thing that comes to my mind, because like, the Zelda series is full of gems. I think, Mm -hmm. like, Ocarina of Time, Breath of the Wild. Sure. Like, they're just masterpieces. And they've, like, reinvented gaming so many times that it's crazy.
2: Any particular Zelda? Or just all of them are good?
0: Well, my favorite is Twilight Princess. Oh, nice. Um, But I could understand if people didn't want to do that one. (laughs) Um, The Wolf I actually have,
2: I'm very proud that I've played and beat every single Zelda in existence. Oh, nice. Except the new one, Tears of the Kingdom, which I'm currently playing. And most people do not like Majora's Mask or Skyward Sword. I find out Skyward Sword is especially this type, but I I love them all. I think they're all great, and I think they do push gaming every single time.
0: I love Skyward Sword, too. And you can see how much it pushed gaming because even Tears of the Kingdom is taking from it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could make up any professional title to give yourself, what would you call yourself?
0: What would it be? Um, like a sorcerer, like someone who makes magic, you know, something like that. That's <laughs> awesome.
2: Okay, halfway there, this is the sixth one. is your alignment like in video games um and dungeons and dragons has alignments too so uh what is your alignment
0: well i'm I'm very lawful i think i like following the rules um and i don't like to be evil maybe maybe so i guess i'm neutral <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> okay
2: Next question. Um, what is your favorite genre? Like mm. fantasy, alternate history, horror, um, action adventure. Um, for you, what is your favorite genre?
0: I think like, uh like, like not like medieval fantasy, but like, like really strange fantasy. Like, like final fantasy 10 is my favorite setting yeah um so like it's something you don't see like that that kind of world you don't see anywhere else or like xenoblade like oof that gets me very excited i love
2: xenoblade with a giant 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 robots i think that was chronicles and then you could actually have your whole team have four giant robots that fly around (laughs) it's pretty cool yeah next question what is your favorite game villain
0: uh, I'm going to have to say uh, Kefka from Final Fantasy 6
2: that's a good one that's a very good one uh, happily just poison a, a village <laughs> for the company
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's pretty evil Yes, he's fun. He's evil. He actually is present throughout the story. He uh, surprises you. He's threatening, too, by the end.
2: Mm -hmm. So,
0: I love him. Next question is eight.
2: What is your favorite game hero? Any type of game, but favorite hero.
0: Well, it's staying on the Final Fantasy trend. um, I love Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. Um, I think he... I love that you can see inside his thoughts. And, uh, you know, I mean, I played it whenever I was a teenager, so I perfectly understood with his, like, uh, teenage angst and, uh, like, the way he wants to avoid, um, like, certain social situations or... Responsibility and stuff, and I just love how he grows throughout the game and really uh, starts taking control. I think his his uh, coming to age is really well done.
2: Mm-hmm. That's cool. Also, the
0: gunplay, right? He had the gunplay. Oh yeah, and it's cool. <laughs> yes.
2: All right. Next question: What is the most overrated game?
0: Oh, boy. Ah, how many wars should I start? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't
2: want to say anything spicy, you don't have to. Put it on audio. But um, we've had previous things like offered that I don't want to take your response. But I can say people's answers are all over the place. Very popular, mainstream, very
0: specific. So we might be able to get in a very heated discussion about tears of the kingdom. We'll <laughs> do it. Oh. <laughs> like I'm having so much fun with it, you know, and I'm addicted to it really more than I should be. <laughs> but, um, I'm just so disappointed that I was hoping it'd be more like the, I don't know. I, I think breath of the wild is a little overrated too, personally, but I, I have fun with Ooh. it. Um, well, I just makes really because, like tr- hmm I don't know. I just miss the storytelling. Like I I think linear games have a place, you know, and I think if you can just beat the final boss from the beginning of the game, um, you lose some of that. Like, like notice the breath of the wild trailer, the tears of the kingdom final trailer, where they had this big cinematic experience of like, it seems like this is going to be this really emotional journey, but then you see it all in these like memories of the past. And it's just like, Okay, you know, it's a good story mm-hmm. or anything, but imagine if this was actually happening now and I was actually, you yeah. know, fighting Ganondorf like in real time and there's this war going on, it'd be so much more epic. And I think that's what I'm missing. Like I think you can still have open world, you can still have nonlinear design. Um, if you know, there's just more like epic moments built into the present day, I think. Like that's why I like Twilight Princess yeah. so much. It feels like just so epic. And even Skyward Sword. Like the story is so good.
3: Yes. Like I I tend to drift away from open world for that reason. Um the narratives I I prefer strong narrative to freedom, I suppose, right? Um, because it's really cool to wander over here and do this, wander over here and do that, and oh, look look at that mountain. It's neat in theory that I could walk for 15 to 20, 30 minutes to get to it. But I want those story beats, right? Um, and so I think there's games that do really well, balancing
2: those two. And when you see games like Event Horizon or God of War, or like the recent God of Wars to where it's like, it's open world, but it has such a good story, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: It is uh, a delicate balance. Instead of just yeah. feeling like you're performing tasks in in a walking simulator.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I think there's like such a big space in between the li- the rigid linearity of Skyward Sword and the crazy, too open Breath of the Wild. And I think you can still have the openness, but still have a linear narrative in it. And you see that Tears of the Kingdom is like almost trying to do that, but for some reason they just didn't want to like fully commit to it and i i think if they yeah, just
2: i i you know. for you because i've actually even though it is my go-to default to play when i play a zelda game i do not um just do the main story and i'm actually forcing myself just to do the main story in tears of the kingdom because i want to know the story first and then mm-hmm. okay i can unlock all the unlockables or, or whatever which is normally what i would dive into in a zelda game but um just because i want to know what's going on so yeah. Yeah,
0: And then you get the memories out of order and you get things spoiled for you and the characters in the main story quests aren't like they don't realize that you already know some secrets about the history and they like pretend that you don't. And so that's like weird to me, like honestly, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet (laughs) for all of their technical flaws. I think the, the way it did its story was actually pretty good because you could do all the gems out of order. Uh, but they still, like, added up to this story. And uh, I don't know. I find it funny that Pokemon somehow... Got it right. <laughs> yeah, got at least the story aspect more bright than Zelda.
2: <laughs> yeah, Pokemon games were always railroady. Like, you have to defeat them in this order, and that's the order you're exploring the world and the talents that you're in. And then,
0: yeah. And then just the fact that it's the same world as Breath of the Wild, (laughs) it's like, oh, I already did this. It's the same, like, okay, there's four main story quests, there's twelve memories, you know, go get. It's just the same thing we've already done. I think so funny because I still love it, you know, but I just am disappointed by it just because I was. We only get one Zelda game every six or seven years now, so I want it to be what I want.
2: Okay, so three questions left.
0: Next question is what is the most enjoyable game you've ever played? Uh, I think Mario Odyssey. Oh, I think just bouncing around in Mario Odyssey is just so fun. Um just it's just delightful from start to finish. I think uh you know, I mean I do wish there were some harder challenges maybe near the end or optional, but uh I just it's just such a joy being in that world.
2: Flip to the previous one. What is the most underrated game?
0: I know we've been on the uh, Zelda train a little bit, so might as well keep on going. I think Skyward Sword is hella underrated now. I don't know what happened. When it came out, people loved it. I know that the motion controls like can turn heard. people off, and I can understand if... Uh, They don't like it, but I mean I I had trouble with the motion controls too, you know. Like I like I feel like they work about 90% of the time, which is not enough. And I wish like it was actually like in like modern day VR. Like Mm. uh I feel like that would make it really come together. But besides that, you know, yeah, you have the hand holding with fee and stuff, whatever. The story's fun, you know. I love like the little light romance between Link and Zelda. I love Groose. I like that the the dungeons are um pretty well designed especially the sistine temple or the yeah um the one with the whip people
2: well, didn't like the nunchuck because when you had to actually hold up a sword to block or shield to block and then you had to people uh, did not in your right if you 90% of the time and if you had christmas lights or mirrors mm. where you were playing <laughs> like it would even yeah. be worse <laughs>
0: Yeah, so they like super ambitious with it and people like say that they're not ambitious but they were brought, trying to reinvent gaming there, you know, it was like your first like where you could actually hold a sword the whole game you know, it was crazy It's uh, so
2: good too because I believe it's the origin of the Zelda timeline um, yeah. it's still there's nothing that predates it So
0: Yeah, and I you know, I mean, I, I, there's definitely it's not the best Zelda and I don't like how they reuse bosses you know, and other stuff but I think it's really fun to go through and the time puzzles are my favorite and the sand sea. Ugh.
2: So final question of the game, most difficult question. Um, you fail your last death save. You are dying. What are your final words?
0: Uh, get out of your comfort zone. You know, life is short, you know, got to. Go quick, you know, go do what you are f- afraid of. That's how you'll grow the most.
3: Here, here. Memento Mori. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Get ready for the game that's hockey 12s what you've got. 12
4: Christians gotta be.
3: this season we really promise we're going design thinking games is going to be more active on various social media we understand as aged gen xers slash millennials elder millennials that like yo wait wait. i'm i'm firmly rooted in zennial i am a zennial so i am right between gen x and millennial (laughs) okay as as a zennial and a millennial elder we are Um, we, We acknowledge that, look, like our social media game for the last two seasons hasn't been on point, but this season you're missing out if you're not following design thinking games on the three T's, TikTok, Twitch and Twitter. Probably in that order, as Twitter is a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, on TikTok you can actually see Ben shooting some like excellent, like just like footage of some like of the really cool and interesting games we're playing. As you know, we look at games clinically uh, and de- deconstruct them to the point of no longer being enjoyable, but that makes for some really good footage. The other thing you'll find there are like this kind of like network of amazing indie. Um, designers who we are interviewing, some of whom, or we're interviewing on this uh, show um, for the season, and we're all going to be engaging there. We'd love for it. If Mm -hmm. you're into user experience, if you're into the player experience, if you're into the craft of game design, um, if you're into us, uh, Design Thinking Games.
4: Previously on Design Thinking LARPing. The other groups of people, who were previously crying, start to cheer as they see the LARPers charge toward their imaginary enemy.
3: I told you! He's LARPing against the LARPers! And he's doing a damn good job at it! Design Thinking LARPing
4: is a story about heroism. The script is written by a poorly trained AI. And it is performed by your poorly trained heroes. Enjoy! As the group reaches the castle, they are met with fierce battle. The LARPers swing their foam swords and shields while rapid protobot fires imaginary lasers from its eyes. The battle rages on for what seems like hours until, finally, the sorcerers defeated.
2: Well done, my brave knights. Your and skill were vital to our victory. What we do now? We celebrate. Let us feast and tell tales of our
4: victory. Michael and Tim watch while Rapid Protobot leads the group in celebration and can't help but smile as they see the once lame LARPers now filled with joy and excitement. Rapid Protobot may have been designed as a prototyping robot, but in this moment it has become much more. A leader, a
3: hero, and a friend to us all. The LARPers haven't restored power after they pretended to make a dragon attack.
2: Uh, It's probably not safe to start a fire here, uh, but we
3: must eat. I hope Rapid Protobot is okay.
4: Find out in the next episode of Design Thinking Games, the fate of our heroes, Tim, Michael, and, of course, Rapid Protobot, the most delightful of the three. The story continues.
1: Thank you for listening and connecting with Design Thinking Games on TikTok, Twitch, and Twitter. You can also check out designthinkinggames.com to request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on. Any final thoughts for our listeners, Rapid Protobot? Boom. Enjoy. Enjoy.